Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. That was, uh, <laughs> it was an interesting game. It was an interesting hockey game. Um, the Oilers got out to a quick 4 nothing lead. They won uh, 5-2. After that 4 nothing lead, the game was just kind of in the bag and Lots of extra passing going on, lots of tricky passing from the orders, not a lot of scoring. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, a big win. Uh, they're all big wins. And uh, first game without Darnell Nurse, Bruce, and I thought they acquitted themselves pretty well without Darnell Nurse. You know, mm-hmm. the, the grade A chances were 18 to 10. 18 to 10 for grade A shots for the Edmonton Oilers. And um, that's while holding the lead most of the game. Right. So... Uh, pretty. It was a dominating performance by the Oilers without Darnell Nurse. That said, it's against the Chicago team, which has struggled this year and uh, isn't a very good team. They'd won four in a row coming into this game, but they've kind of done it with smoke and mirrors. I think they had, uh, uh, you know, they won against the flow of play a couple times. And, you know, they got the what's called the dead cat bounce uh, with the new coach. Taken yeah. over, and a lot of teams you see that a new guy comes in and they play inspired hockey for a while, and and things seem to go well, and everybody's happy, and then reality inevitably overtakes them. Yeah, and uh, tonight was a dose of reality, I think, from a sh- Chicago perspective. It was a bit of a track meet, eh? Yeah, like I wasn't well, well, too ha- happy with the third period because because it was a track meet, and the Oilers could have really sort of put the hammer down and. They were happy to trade chances, and I don't really think that's the get best game plan when you have a three-goal lead. But Yeah, and, you know, Bruce, it's the kind of game that if Gretzky was in, he'd score five, six points. Like, you know, you get up to that lead, and he would just turn it on and keep scoring. But McDavid and Dreisaitl, it's not really their DNA. It's not like they, they weren't trying to score, but they did get a bit fancy. And Anyway. Yeah, Wayne, but, Wayne would get all red in the face, and, and uh, he would start to... Uh, Anytime you could see, we could see him from row 14 in the corner reds where, where I used to sit. And uh, you could see even from that distance, when his face got red, the other team was in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Why would his face get red? I don't know, but he got, got excited. and the blood uh, rising. Yeah, yeah. And he'd be pumping in the points or, or uh, uh, and it, and it happened sometimes too in close games, but oftentimes you'd see it where the Oilers were, you know, in the ascendant, and he was just killing them. Like, he never stopped going for the... He was like he was, Pete Rose batting in the ninth inning with a 12-run lead. You know, every bit as tough to get out then as at any other time. Yeah. That was uh, that was uh, Wayne uh, just bringing the offense right to the end of the games. He was the Dexter of point scoring, Bruce. Tonight's, <laughs> tonight's the night, and the blood would be rising. All right, um... What's your first good thing, Bruce? Yeah, good things. Uh, well, I like the penalty kill. I like the work of the penalty kill. Uh, generally, they killed off all three uh, Chicago power plays, and they scored not one but two shorthanded goals on the penalty kill. Two shorthanded goals in the same game. I mean, you talk about that's Gretzky era. Oilers stuff right there when they get when they get multiple shorties in the same game. <laughs> they used to do that once in a while, and it's always fun that it happened. Could well have been good old Murray Bannerman in the nets for uh, Chicago tonight. <laughs> Squirrel. But, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto got the first one, and that turned out to be the game winner. And it was off it. Chicago was trying to do one of those fancy breakout plays, and Colton Sevier was kind of all over the guy trying to make the drop pass. And was it was it Taves? I think maybe it was Taves. Taves had a bit of a tough night, I think. If we were doing a Chicago pad podcast, Sir Jonathan Taves might have to have been a bad thing tonight. But anyway, he Sevier's uh, 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 got a piece of the drop pass with his skate and got a very good bounce and went right to Yamamoto between the circles. And Kyler surprised me and probably you by quickly gobbling up the puck and firing a rocket into the top corner. No questions asked. Oh, well, should I dangle it? Should I try and take it in? Nope. Bam, in the net. And you got to like that. And that made it 3 nothing. I kind of opened the, the floodgates a little bit. If Chicago scores on that power play, you know, there, there's a lot of game left, right? It's still the first period. Even if they don't score, it's only 2 nothing. And then finally, the hammer late in the third period <clears throat> when the Oilers' own power play couldn't get her done on two chances. And uh, in the second one, they, they, they shot themselves in the foot when Zach Hyman took an interference penalty. So that gave us 4-2 still. What, five minutes left when uh, Hyman took that penalty or so? And uh, uh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, just over five minutes left. And... Chicago has a chance on four and four. They have a chance on the power play. Even they can score on one of those situations. It's four three, you know, with time on the clock. And instead, Edmonton handily killed off most of it. And then uh, uh, a, a weak shoot-in by Sir Jonathan Taves was picked off by Evan Bouchard and promptly banked perfectly off the boards and into the neutral zone where Leon was able to turn on the Jets and skating on a clear breakaway. And uh, I think he touched the puck once. He didn't give uh, even Lankinen a whole lot of time to get set and bang, perfect wrist shot in off the post. You could hear it ding the post on the way into the back of the net. And that was the moment where we all knew that the Oilers were completely out of danger and these two points were in the bag. So credit to the penalty kill unit, which is having a year, David. I think now they're up to three goals, four, and six against through 17 games. I think that's correct. So they're only minus wow. three overall, Bruce, whereas the power play is 21-4 and zero against. I was going to remark on that. This power play is not given up anything at the other uh-huh. end. Because like, in the recent years, they've given up a few, uh, yeah. few too many on yes. uh, the power play has. And mm-hmm. this is a different uh, different aspect. I mean, I just, I just think it speaks to the overall excellence of that power play. Yep. That um, they're so in sync that good things happen when they're out there. Bruce, on the penalty kill, uh, I'm going to segue to my good thing, which was Colton. My first good thing, which is Colton Sevier. Didn't mm-hmm. play a lot, but he led the team for forwards in power play time on ice, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was at 307, just ahead of Yamamoto. And short handed uh, time, yes. Excuse me, short handed time, yeah. <laughs> if, you know, I, through the preseason, I was not sold on Colton Sevier at all. Mm-hmm. I was wondering why he's on the team. Like I didn't see anything. Right. And I think you and you both you and Kurt were a little bit more positive about him. You were seeing some I stuff. Saw that some you good stuff. I saw why such. coaches like him, why he keeps getting the job. You know, that's what I saw. And I and I'm seeing more of it in the season. But carry on. I, I and so am I. And tonight mm-hmm. it came through in spades. And I think it really highlights the issue with the fourth line on the orders is you've got to be strong defensively. Colton yeah. Sevier is. 
He's a very smart. So this is what I've recognized now after having seen him more. He is a very smart defensive hockey player who works very hard. He's positionally sound. He doesn't give up anything in his own end or gives up very little. That's exactly, if nothing else, that's what you need from your fourth line players. You can't Mm -hmm. be giving up grade A shots constantly and leaking goals against. This is what we've seen way too much from the bottom line players. He's right. not going to do that. I I think he's if he keep, he's going to be back in the lineup again and again and again. He and Benson actually. I I don't know why we haven't seen more of that combination. I guess you know they they liked Perlini and and Turris out of mm-hmm. uh, out of the um, uh, preseason, and they've they've had the upper hand in terms of getting the chances and the ice time. But to to my eye, Benson and Sevier have been uh, pretty it's not close. They've been a lot better in terms of two-way play than uh, Turris and Perlini. Um, Sevier's penalty killing alone mm-hmm. could make him a job. He's not a physical player and a fast player. He's not like, he's not like, he's not a hitter like Archibald. He's not, he's not fast well, like Archibald. Bruce, he may be a smarter defensive player though than Josh Archibald. He may be more of a, like, he, he may be a more effective player in the end than Archibald. Even though Archibald did a lot of kind of spectacular things and the hitting was re- very welcome. Especially the hitting, yeah. His defensive play was not always spot on. Like he was an okay, he's an, I would say Josh Archibald is an okay defensive hockey player. Sevier may be better than that. You know, we'll, we'll see over time. We'll be able to make up our minds. You know, mm-hmm. there's lots more games to come, but he's winning me over. And uh, tonight was uh, his best game, as Jack Michaels pointed out on, on, on Hockey Night in Canada. Congratulations to Jack for getting the call on a, on a national game. Yeah, that's the first, wasn't it? I, I don't know, but it's well-deserved. He's, yeah. he's been, I, I really like his work on television. I think he's uh, so strong there. Anyway, um, Sevier, uh, he, he's in the lineup, and I think he's in the lineup. Uh, you know, I want I, to stay. That might be too strong a thing, but I can't help but imagine that Dave Tippett was really impressed with that and will be looking to him repeatedly. When you lead the team in PK ice time, that's a that's a Dave Tippett kind of stat. Yep. And um it's gonna stick. It's very sticky, that kind of thing. Yeah, well he was playing with Yamamoto on the uh uh on in the spot where Derek Ryan normally plays. And of course yep. Ryan is out with with concussion like symptoms and Based off the two games that's happened since, uh, I'm I'm expecting the Oilers won't be in any big hurry to rush Derek Ryan back in the lineup. Let's put it that way, because he wasn't playing that great before, and he was getting lit up for for goals against. And Sevier's drawn in, and this is where you want to make a comparison between Sevier and Josh Archibald. Uh, Colton Sevier's done something the last two games. Josh Archibald has never done in his time in Edmonton. He played center. Yeah, and, and he filled in that, he filled in in the middle. Uh, between uh, uh, Benson and Turris, and uh, he was three for three on the dot tonight. But you know, defensively sound and reliable to my eye, and uh, he doesn't give up a lot. And that's what you want on your fourth line, first and foremost. Your it's fourth line's of, never going to score much, so you better hope they don't give up a lot. Kind of what Haas did last year, honestly, Bruce. Like he mm-hmm. was really yep. solid defensively. Yes. Um, as a center, he was just a fine defensive center and didn't give yes. up much and was okay on the PK. And mm. I, I liked that. I didn't mind Gaetan Haas last year. I know no, he, I, he no. might want more, but now this year's team, 
looks like the fourth line guys are going to get really limited ice time, if, especially if they're not going to be on the um, special teams. But Sevier mm-hmm. can be on a special team. He can help on the PK. So, you know, when Shore comes back, when Ryan comes back, suddenly you got four guys now who can kind of play center, play play the wing. Ryan's a center and McLeod's a center. But you got the two other guys who can go back and forth. But it, it it's going to allow, I think, Ryan and McLeod to be the centers. And you're going to have Sevier and, and Shore. Sevier's, I think... Small sample size. I think he's a better penalty killer than Shore. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I th- it's coming together a little bit here. You know, they just needed to give this guy a chance, and we'll see what happens next. Bruce, what's your next good thing? Uh, I'm going to uh, triple out the play of the third line and credit all three guys on the third line. I thought they had an excellent game. Uh, those being uh, Ryan McLeod at center uh, between Warren Fogle and Zach Cassian. Uh, the wingers did what they're reputed to be able to do, which is skate fast, stir things up, take the body regularly, and create chances, if not necessarily finish chances. And uh, both Vogel and uh, Cassian had had really good looks that they weren't able to cash. But, uh, you know, you keep pounding away like they were tonight, the odd one's going to go in for sure. Uh, and each of them had four shots on net. And uh, uh, Cassian had four hits and, and uh, Fogel too. And I thought they both played a really dynamic game. And Cassian, you know, he even made a play in the defensive zone where he had a good defensive stick and picked off a pass and broke up a long Chicago cycle. And I, I almost fainted dead away in my couch. But it was an excellent play. And I made note that I have to I have to credit Zach for that. That's that's what you want to see. And... and uh, uh, he was able to do it on that occasion. And in between was young Ryan McLeod, who uh, on his second uh, stint with the Oilers this season, after having been sent down fairly early in the season, um, he's a totally different player. He had a couple of, he had a weak camp and he had a couple of weak games to start the season and he made himself kind of the easy choice to be the odd man out when everybody was healthy. Well, I can tell you right now that when uh, both... Um, uh, Devin Shore and Derek Ryan are ready to go. Uh, Ken Holland and Dave Tippett are going to have a headache deciding which of the other forwards, assuming all of them are healthy at once, uh, because Ryan McLeod's the one they, they can send down without having to wave, but I don't think they're going to do it now. He's been too good. And he's playing third line. You know, he's not like 4C, he's 3C. Tonight he got a beautiful goal. He showed some really nice, really nice hands in close. And a nice pass from Fogel to set him up in the in the uh, low slot, and uh, uh, and he was patient. And it was one of those plays where the goalie had to move across, and the player coming at him was going the other way. And by just holding the puck and making one step, he just stepped right around the goalie and made the deposit, and uh, and made it look easy. So so uh, nice hands. Uh, 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 from McLeod, nice speed from McLeod. I mean, these are three big, fast players on one line. If they can get buzzing around like that on a regular basis, they're going to be a thorn in the opposition side. They certainly were tonight. So, I, I was going to remark on that, Bruce, that like mm-hmm. the size of that group without Ryan, like Ryan's a, a good, like, I don't, I, I'm still not negative about Ryan. I think he might come around here, but it, it's a different element when you have three great big guys and they're fast. And those guys are. And when Fogel's, I, I've liked Fogel's game. The results haven't been great, 
um, the process, you know, there's he, he's made some defensive mistakes, same as Cassian, but man, he was going tonight and you get McLeod buzzing in there. And I think McLeod, um, he holds the puck better than Ryan does. He's, he's better with the puck and they kind of need that, those two guys. So it works better. So I could see this as the third line. You know, again, we'll see how this is one game. They had a really good game. We'll see if they can replicate that because consistency is, a you know, for Cassie and it's been an ongoing issue. It looks like it is for Fogel and it's probably going to be for McLeod. But you get three guys like that and they, 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 if they can get it into their heads to play that kind of fast uh, game where there's a, you know, where they hold the puck in the offensive end and cycle it, they're going to be hard to stop. So then on the, the third line could be, well, I, you know, I would go with Ryan Sevier and Benson personally. That's a bit of a... Yeah, excuse me, as a fourth line, a bit of a smaller group. But um, Benson and Sevier seem to be smart defensively, and I think Ryan is too. So that might work um, in, in kind of a lesser lesser minutes affair. Bruce, on the goal that you – oh, I just wanted to point out one thing with Cassian. Yeah. He had three uh, grade-A shots on net. The last one, that pass from Dreisaitl. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. What oh. a pass. What a you like what a pass and like that was definitely a five alarm shot but five oh, belt saved right, by the goalie great too. Like, save. I have to give Kevin Lankinen a lot of credit tonight. After the first yeah. period and he was down four nothing, they're talking about should they pull him while like they want to keep the other guy fresh, and he was great in the second period. He you know he made several good stops on one timers. The Oilers several times didn't test him because they had to make the one extra fancy pass that didn't work. But uh, when they did test him, he was excellent. And he held Chicago into the in the game right into the last five minutes of the third period. That uh, that he bounced back hard from a from a pretty tough uh, opening twenty. So uh, credit credit to him. My second good thing, uh, you talked to him about the McLeod goal. Um, well, that play doesn't happen without a really, really sharp pass from the blue line. Puck comes around the boards, and who's there but our friend Philip Broberry, who mm-hmm. puts, you, puts it around the boards on yep. purpose, sees Pretty the guy great. down low, sees yep. Fogel down there, and and feeds him down low, and that's what that's creates momentum that leads to that goal. It he, Philip Broberry has been playing against men since he was. Um, 17 years old. In fact, he had just turned 17. Oh. His birthday's in August, and he, had, I think. And he had just turned 17 when he was promoted to the Allsvenskan yes. in his draft year. And then mm-hmm. the two years after that, he played in the Swedish Elite League, the top league in Sweden. So it's not like playing against people this age, uh, against men, is a, right. is a sh- kind of a shock to Philip Robery. Um, he's been working towards this for some time. And, um, you know, we got a really interesting report from Ira Cooper um, Mm -hmm. on Broberry in the AHL. And uh, let me just quickly deal with this. Why do we call him Broberry? We get, uh, I get asked this quite a a lot. It's it's just out of courtesy because that's his, that's how you pronounce his name in Sweden. Like he, that's his name, essentially. That's how you pronounce it. And, and in the modern world, what Mm -hmm. we try to do, (laughs) I think is like we, we with the Russians, with the Czechs, with everybody else, we try to pronounce their names. And I don't know why there's an exception to the for the Swedes in terms of this particular aspect of pronunciation of Swedish names. So it's just as a courtesy to Philip Broberry. This is, you know, we, we still are probably, I'm still probably butchering as, you know, the accent and the pronunciation. Wow. 
but it's my best attempt to pronounce his name like it's supposed to be pronounced. Well, one day soon, someone's going to say, hey, Philip, how do you want us to pronounce his la- your last name? And he might say, well, Broberg is fine. That's easy for He you probably to will. And when he will, then then we can. <laughs> That's right. Like, like Elias Resolve Patterson. the issue once and for all. Elias anyway, Peterson. Yeah. He wants to be Elias Peterson instead of Elias Peterson. I think this is why the Swedes are they have their names mispronounced because they're they're very I think they're very fanatic about it. Yeah, they're not. They're just whatever. They're they're late. They're chill. Uh, anyway, first I just uh, he's been working towards this. He, mm-hmm. and, and Ira Cooper's report from the um, AHL indicated that uh, and Ira's been watching it on a- AHL TV, and um, he uh, he he noted that. Broberry started out kind of iffy down there, just like he had looked in preseason here. He, you know, there was a lot of iffy moments and, and then suddenly, um, I don't know, about three or four games into the season, he took off and started to play with increasing confidence and playing better and better and better. And I don't know when nurse comes back, if he's going to stick in Edmonton right now, I I doubt it. He probably could use more time in the AHL, but Mm -hmm. that was a, that was a a very solid very solid debut game highlighted yes. by the assist. Mm-hmm. He, he he kept it simple. He didn't try to do too much. He got burnt once on kind of a two on two. He and CC uh, with with Keith getting a uh, with Duncan Kane, excuse me, getting a shot off the post where uh, Broberry gave up too much gap and CC got beat on the oh, past. But yeah. it was a good it was a good partnership. You know, mm-hmm. playing him with that was a good move by the coaches to play him with a veteran like you. Basically, your best right shot D-man right now is Cody Ceci on the Edmonton Oilers. Your best two-way right shot D-man is Cody Ceci. Best on the defensive side of the puck, and it's not particularly close. That's right. So your most solid, dependable player Mm -hmm. defensively, and you put him with the rookie, and I thought that worked out very well. And uh, Mm -hmm. he he looked, in the preseason, he was always getting flattened by hits, and uh, that didn't happen in this game. He... he, um, He's learned some lessons there. He's moving the puck faster. He's just playing faster, and he look and he, and he he's a good player. I think we'll see, it's going to be fun to watch him develop. Somebody tried to run him, and it didn't happen. He was able to avoid the yeah. check. And the Chicago guy got the worst of it. The other thing that he did in his uh, uh, fourteen and a half minutes that he played tonight, so decent amount, but you know, kind of third pairing minutes, uh, he uh, drew a penalty. That's right. So got, in the game. Know, he got a point. He drew a penalty that led to a power play goal. You know, he uh, he had uh, a couple of couple of iffy moments defensively, but geez, a couple you're, you're more than willing to accept that. <laughs> if we're here thinking that Broberry should be able to handle Patrick Kane one on one in his first game, maybe it's a little bit wishful thinking. And uh, Kane's made a lot more experienced players than him look uh, silly at times and. Uh, that wasn't even like a major breakdown. It was a really nicely executed play by Chicago. And then Kane from a, from not, a, you know, it wasn't like it was a 10-bell chance because he wasn't right in front from an angle. He tried to pick the corner and hit the post. It's, I mean, it certainly came close. But that was Broberry's toughest moment in the game. And it wasn't like he stood out saying, oh, that's a blunder. It was nothing like that. It was just the flow of play and uh, Patrick Kane, go figure. <laughs> Got found some open ice and was able to create a dangerous chance out of it with two on two. And mm-hmm. It's going to happen. It is going. It's to been happen. known. It has been known <laughs> to happen, Bruce. Yes, that's indeed. Uh, what's your bad thing? Well, much as I just praised Ryan McLeod, uh, the four-two goal 
Man, oh man. They got a 4-1 lead. They got a power play in the third period. The power play does nothing. Like, I wasn't happy with that power play at all. Like, the, the big guys did nothing except for turn the puck over and chase it down in their own end two or three times. Uh, but then they went off, and the coach rewarded the third line deservedly with the last 30 seconds or 40 seconds of the PP. And out they came, and they kept doing what they've been doing before, uh, cycling and, and uh, keeping the pressure on. But with about five seconds to go in the power play, the puck comes to Ryan McLeod, and you can hear Stuart Skinner at the other end of the ice doing the universal signal, whack, 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 which tells the players at the far end, the penalty clock is counting down, be aware there's a guy coming out of the box. And McLeod had the puck deep in the zone. Uh, Evan Bouchard was at center point, but isolated there. And McLeod tried to pass the puck back to McLeod, or to Bouchard. Normally, it would be an okay play. But in that situation, with the guy emerging from the box and with a three-goal lead, uh, passing the puck backwards is not a good idea. Uh, what you really want to do more than anything, and when the goalie's doing the stick-whack thing, is just get it deep into the corner and make sure that you've got either you're changed up, you've got fresh troops, you've got everything where you want. And he goes back to the point, and Alex Debrinkat gets piece of the pass. And so to me, that's the turnover right there. The puck went to Bouchard. He couldn't really handle the bouncing puck. And uh, Debrinkat was all over him. And next thing you know, not only is he breaking away with the puck, but the guy out of the penalty box is ahead of him. And now it's a two on O, and they execute perfectly. And now instead of you know, four-one game with eleven minutes left, and 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 you know they've not only wasted the power play. But they've blown it at the end, given Chicago a two-on-all breakaway with a three-goal lead. That's a horrendous mistake. And it's young players, and both uh, McLeod and Bouchard are young players, and hopefully they'll learn from that. I can guarantee you they will be looking at uh, some videotape uh, or whatever you call the digital version video anyway of uh, of that sequence and being given a little bit of... of um, of friendly advice as to how they might have handled it different. I think the coaches will be more upset with McLeod than yes. with Bouchard. Um, Bouchard was hung out to dry by that pass. Yeah, my, my bad thing was the first five minutes of the game, Bruce, and the orders just came out so loose. Chicago was constantly outnumbering them on the attack, and um, yeah. it, it and it amounted to two grade A shots from the slot from Patrick Kane. And Stuart, Kinner, Stuart, Stuart Skinner fought off both of those shots. He, he did very well to make both of those saves. They were hard saves. And the owners were just so loosey-goosey. And then, you know, all of a sudden, boom, they, they scored, right? They, um, they, got a, they got a nice goal. So that, and that changed, seemed to change everything after that. The owners dominated the game. But th- those first five minutes w- were not good. And it was good that Stuart Skinner was in net because, man, he just there alone, he uh, he earned a, a good mark on the game grades because he, yep. uh, he he helped the team win the game yep. because of that sure. early play. It's all it's a different game. Chicago gets out one nothing. It's a different game. And and uh, that's what the Oilers deserved almost with the way they were playing, because it was just it wasn't just the the two scoring plays. It was just repeatedly. It seemed like there was five Chicago players and four Oilers defenders. So there was four and three Chicago to, to Oilers. Against two. There was a lot yeah. of, man, Chicago was really loosey-goosey and jumping up and the Oilers were 
a little bit slack on the on the coverage. I thought I found the early part of the third period was more of the same with the three goal lead. I was kind of shaking my head saying, "This is not exactly locking it down there, fellas." But uh, anyway, they uh, they got the job done. But uh, Skinner Skinner was big early, and he he had another solid game. Like he is going to get a good grade because he played well. He looks good in the nets, Bruce. He looks like he just moves around well. His positioning is really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had some good training, is what I would suggest. Someone's mm-hmm. training well. I guess down the farm they have what is his name, Sylvain Rodrigue. Yeah, yeah, Olivier Rodrigue's dad. That must be yeah. an interesting dynamic in the goalie drills when the coach is a dad. I guess all the players would have grown up with that at some point or other. Yeah, they've got all put dad, up with that. Dad, one, one, <laughs> one of the players, but anyway. Um, they've got uh, uh, a very promising-looking netminder there in Stuart Skinner, i got to say. And uh, fingers crossed, it's been so long since the Oilers developed. Well, since Dubnik, right? Well, yeah, you could say Brossois that they developed. Uh, they got him yeah. in the trade. They didn't draft him. They got him in the trade, and they actually, you know, they did eventually develop in, into an NHLer. And before that, it was Dubnik, and before that, it was Grant Fuhr, near as I could tell. <laughs> I see one bit say of a gap there. Bill Ranford, who came from Boston well, when he was NHL ready. No. So I would say it was Grant Fuhr that they drafted yeah. him. He became, wow. you know, it's the Oilers' record of drafting goalies is horrendous. Are you overlooking Maybe. Steve Passmore? I am looking, overlooking Steve Passmore. I can't blame you. All right. <laughs> Sorry, it's just a cheap shot at Steve Passmore. Sorry, Steve Passmore. Um, <laughs> Bruce, what's your number? My number is 10, and that is the number of times in the first 17 games that the Oilers have scored at least five goals in a game. Five goals will win you games in the NHL, and in fact, it won all 10 of those games. They are 10-0 in games in which they scored five or more goals. And so, that, you know, that's, that's very nice offensive uh, production. In fact, they've only had one game all year where they didn't score two goals. Uh, and even in that game, they were credited with two because they, they won 2-1 in the shootout in the last game. That was the first time that Hellebuck held the Oilers. was the first time they've been held below two goals in a, in a regular hockey game all year. So the, the consistency of the offense, getting a couple of goals every night and, you know, getting five or more in over half of their games. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, if they can possibly keep up uh, – uh, scoring at at that rate that often, they're just cruising into the playoffs. Very nice. Very nice. Mm. Helps the old well, goal differential for the team. Well, they won those 10 games with the five goals. In the other game, they won three low-scoring games, 2-1 to one over Vancouver, 2-1 to one in the shootout over Winnipeg, and 3-2 to two in the shootout against Vancouver. So, you know, they, they got a few points here and there from the games they were, they were held uh, – the, their offense was was not overpowering, and then many nights it is, and they can, you know they're they're uh, they're in great shape. So it's nice to have such a depth of offense. Like I mean, five goals—that's a nice number. Don't they give away a pizza when the team scores five? I think that's the magic number for Japanese village giveaway or something that they do on the radio. That one they want to score five, everybody gets free food. <laughs> Um, 
Bruce, my number is we we haven't mentioned this because we knew we you know it was coming up in my numbers here, but that shift there was an <laughs> astonishing shift by the Oilers in the second period, absolutely, utterly astonishing, and it was a joy to watch the whole thing unfold. It it remind for some Oilers fans it would bring to mind a famous shift where the Oilers were hemmed in their own zone with Jason Strudwick and Taylor Torney on the ice, which. Yep. Um, I'm not sure which was a longer time in the ozone or which shift was longer. Someone else is going to have to get at that. But this, this was a this was a heck of a long shift. So here's the numbers, Bruce, involved in this shift. In terms of the in terms of Edmonton entering the Chicago zone and keeping it in there, 190 seconds. 190 seconds. 18 Oilers were on the ice during the, those 190 seconds. The whole team. The whole team. The whole team was out there. Russell and Barry just were out there at the very start. Um, they came out again at the end of the shift yeah. before they were, those players were able to get off the ice, but the puck had come out by then, and, and Russell and Barry were out again. But all six defensemen, all 12 forwards, they, they didn't change goalies was the only thing they didn't do. Uh, Hard to do that on the fly, especially during, in the second period. It's a long change for the goalie. Yeah, they would have done it otherwise. <laughs> so... There was, it's by my count, and I only counted it once, so maybe I'm off by one or two. But there was 46 completed passes, oh. and and we've had some, we've had some shifts, some long shifts in the last couple of years, and I'm pretty sure that we haven't gotten past 30 passes, like like 30, right. 30, 32. Right around this, there. Yeah. This one was 46 passes. Not only that, there was seven battles won where the Oilers regained the puck from Chicago. Seven mm-hmm. times Chicago had it, and the Oilers either from a turnover or just battling them, they got it. Uh, There was nine shots at net. Two of those were grade A shots. Two of the shots, I think it was Cassian early on, if I'm not mistaken. And then um, one of the grade A shots was uh, an incredible, incredible Bouchard riff from McDavid cross ice dart uh, that that Bouchard put off the crossbar. Mm -hmm. So... um, that was that was a lot of fun. Not if you're a Chicago, not if you're Caleb Jones. It was it Connor Murphy, but yes. it was a lot of fun for Oilers fans. Four minutes and fifty five seconds. Their shifts were, according to Hockey Night in Canada, and I, I haven't verified, but surely they got that that right. And they were saying all along that he was up over four minutes. The famous slash infamous shift of uh, of uh, Strudwick and Chorney in Detroit uh, was three minutes and forty five seconds, and Almost all of it in Edmonton territory. A couple of times they got it out to center and it came right back in. And of course, same thing. Anytime one of those records gets set, I can almost guarantee you it's going to be in the second period where the defenders yeah. have to make the long change and the opponents get to make the short change on the attack because they come over the boards and they're right in the zone already. And so they can really heap the pressure on. They can they can change up and make fresh troops without having to skate past center to bring bring on the new guy. They can just replace right at the blue line. So they can really bring on the storm troopers, and, and Edmonton did in tonight's situation. And it did indeed remind me of that dominance of uh, Detroit versus the, uh, the, uh, the Strudwick-Charney pairing. I watched that shift a number of times. I'm fascinated by it. I said, how how does it work with these long changes versus the short changes? And Detroit did everything perfectly, basically. <laughs> the poor fellows couldn't get off. The, they didn't do a lot wrong. And they so did the Oilers. 
And tonight it was the other way around. I, I frankly a little disappointed they weren't able to score off of it. But they sure were uh, cycling that puck around. And as you say, they won a lot of battles. And at a certain point, you know, Chicago had uh, lactic acid issues that they weren't going to win any battles. And uh, they did well to finally get the thing out of there and and uh, get those guys off the ice. Four minutes and 55 seconds. Just... After about 90 seconds, they must have been dying. So just imagine. And then finally, I just was I just was waiting. Like, when's McDavid getting on this? When's he, like, can he get out there? And finally uh-huh. he did. Uh-huh. Oh, he was just dancing out there, like looking for the <laughs> and, and he and he set up Bouchard. That should have been a goal. Like I don't know how Evan Bouchard missed that shot. It was uh, it was pretty much a wide open net, and was just uh, just rang it off the crossbar. But that was yeah, that was astonishing. Should Bruce, have done what Tyson Berry did when he had the wide open net, hammer it right into the middle of the net. <laughs> exactly. <Down to> you. <laughs> that was a nice goal by Tyson Berry, who's been playing really strong hockey, by the it way. Was, like, yeah. Tyson Berry in his last five games, six games, has really turned it around. Although he was one of the culprits early in the game. He, he did his famous pinch up the ice and it caused a, um, you know, pinch it. He, whenever he's pinching too much, he always gets himself in trouble. Anyway, that's a, that's a strife for another day. Bruce, when's the, they play what, Tuesday? Is that the next Tuesday game? Tuesday and Wednesday. They play uh, back-to-back on the road. And they play uh, Dallas and Arizona on consecutive nights. And then they go on to uh, Vegas next Saturday, a week from tonight. So it's a a three-game roadie, but rather than every other day, there's a back-to-back and then a couple days off and then a a final game. And then they get three more days off after that. So by the end of next week, they'll be up to game number 20, and they'll play 10 home, 10 away. So they're just on... Well, they're looking for real, Bruce. I remember what Bob McKenzie of TSN always used to say, that he always used to wait till American Thanksgiving to kind of judge the teams and to get a real solid take mm-hmm. on where the teams are. Well, we're very close to that. I think it's, is it this week? week? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Oilers are looking pretty good. November. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Well, let's, let's leave it there for tonight. Thanks for talking. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.